Well, good morning. I bring you greetings from the Fresno Pacific Biblical Seminary. And it's a real honor to be with you here today. Uh, Not only to be able to speak the Word of God to you, but also it's an honor to be here because I hear so many good things about you. Um, It appears, at least as an outsider, I'm not Mennonite brethren, I'm brethren in Christ. I, I hope that's okay. That, but, but it seems like every MB church in Fresno was planted out of here. I don't know if that's exactly true or not, but it at least appears that way. So, God has been active among you for quite a long time. Now, I know a little bit about you from trying to understand the area and the churches and talking to Pastor Brian a few times, but you don't know much about me. So I thought I would start off talking about myself a little bit at least when I was a young man. When I was a teenager, just like every other teenager, I was filled with angst and worry. But my primary concern was my hair at the time. I had this calic right here that would never go down. I I figured out after years of experimenting that if I took Aussie brand hairspray and used about a third of the bottle right there, I could get it to go down. But then the back of my head was too flat, so I found just the right hairbrush that I could keep in my back pocket at all times, and I would comb it out, and it would go perfectly with my feather. That was my big worry as a teenager. How was my feather working in my hair? And then when I was 19 years old, I was starting college late because I was trying to save up money, didn't come from a family of means, and I was visiting a friend who was attending a university in Indiana, so I stayed with him in the dormitory for the weekend. And it was a Saturday morning, I believe. We, everyone was taking showers, and if, if you've lived in a college dorm, you know what I mean, when there's just a lot of activity in the bathrooms. So we'd gotten out of the shower, and we were getting ready, and he looked at me, and he's like, dude, dude. And I said, what? He's like, you're losing your hair. I said, shut up. I think I punched him in the arm. And, no, no, I'm not. But that began the panic. That began the worry. I remember mocking an uncle of mine for wearing a toupee. And I started all weekend, I'd look in the mirror. I think I am losing my hair. And he had this wonderful advice that only a best friend can give. He's like, dude, you need to get married really fast before they figure it out. <laughs> So when I was up late at night, maybe watching an old Clint Eastwood movie, and they had those hair club commercials come on. You know the ones like, I'm not only the president, but I'm also a client kind of thing. I started calling those places and ordering samples to come to my house. My, my mom said 10 years after I'd moved out, they, they kept showing up in the mailbox. <laughs> I started creating plans and saving up money. At the time, Rogaine seemed like a great answer, and I remember going to the Super X drugstore My heart pounding, kind of nervous, do I want to buy this or not, finally deciding I would buy it, walking up, standing in line just to get up to the lady who was at the cash register, and she was about my age and really cute, and I just kind of dropped it on the floor and kept going. I couldn't purchase it. So as a young man, these were my worries, silly worries, foolish worries, childish worries. But when we grow up, the anxiety doesn't go away. 
normally just changes into stuff that, that really matters. Some of you here are senior saints, people that have been tracking with Jesus for a long, long time. And you're not the kind of person who worries about dying. I mean, that's going to happen to all of us. But you might worry about having a massive stroke, being incapacitated, being a burden to your family for a long, long time. You might worry living so long that you use up all of your resources and you have nothing to leave behind for your children or your grandchildren. That's a serious concern. Some of you are on the opposite end of the spectrum. You're in your 20s, early 20s, mid-20s. Life is just beginning. But you have worries like, will I ever have a family? Will I ever find true love? I mean, I know my parents' relationship, and I'd hope I'd find something better than that. You wonder if you'll ever have a real job. I mean, maybe you even graduated from college, but you still are only working maybe part-time hours. You wonder, will I ever really live on my own and have my own life, or will I always be in mom's basement? And some of you maybe are in the hardest spot, the, the sandwich generation. You worry about your parents' health, And that your young adult children will come back to God. That they won't stay on this same path that they've been on forever. You worry about the future. Do we live in the kind of day and age where we can ever trust the economy? Presidential elections coming up in a year and a half. Will there be someone who will turn things around? Or will all of the concerns just accelerate? I know you've been in the Gospel of Luke for several weeks, and today we're kind of wrapping up this series. And as we turn to this biography of Jesus, if you will, I'm always impressed with how human the Scriptures are. How much the, the Spirit uses these stories, these accounts of the life of Jesus, Paul, Peter, and others, to deal with the, these struggles in the human condition. And as we come to Luke chapter 12, we find Jesus has been traveling and speaking, and as usual, he's got a crowd all around him. We'll pick it up in verse 13. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. You can imagine that kind of statement publicly coming from a long period of frustration and worry and anxiety. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then, turning and speaking to the whole crowd, he said, Beware! Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that had produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. 
And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Then turning aside to his disciples, Jesus said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food, and your body more than clothing. I mean, come on, look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to Him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and He will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now, it may appear at first glance hearing this story that this man who called out to Jesus asking him to help get his brother's head screwed on straight and to give him his share of the inheritance is just being selfish. He's looking for a windfall. He's just looking for some extra cash so he can go on vacation to the Bay Area a few more times during the year and that he can maybe take out a few less loans for his children's college. But you got to remember, first century Palestine, this is a genuine concern. There's no such thing as having retirement funds or Social Security. There's no such things as even homeless shelters. And so if there's an economic downturn, if the drought arrives, you're in trouble. It's hard to find food, let alone clothes, for your children. People learn to count on an inheritance. This was something that really, really mattered. But I think the first thing that this text shows us speaks to us 2,000 years later, 
is that our worrying is a signal that there's something that we need to share with our Creator and with other people. When you find yourself worrying, it is a signal to you that there is something that you should not simply keep within you, but it needs voice to our Creator, and yes, even to other people. You know, we wouldn't have this story. We wouldn't have this account of the life of Jesus if this man didn't voice his concerns, not only to Jesus, but, geez, in front of everybody, in front of the whole crowd. And though I'm not Mennonite brethren, I am the lowly brethren in Christ. I know enough about us Anabaptists to know that this can be a real problem for us. I mean, we are people that value community, peace, all of these great things in the way of Jesus. But they can be a problem. Because we can mistakenly slide into this posture of thinking living a life of peace means being very quiet about things that are bothering me. Living a life of faith or living humbly within community means never making a fuss about things that we struggle with. Having faith in Jesus means you never share with people at church your real concerns, your real anxieties, the real things that are getting under your skin. But here's something I've learned from 16 years of pastoring. If you and I are not willing to open up and be honest, not only with our Creator, but with other people about our deepest concerns and frustrations and worries, if we won't share that with others, well, we will end up sharing our pain with others. And it won't be pretty. One of the saddest things I ever witnessed was actually from a a Mennonite youth pastor. A guy that I'll call Tim. He was one of my mentors when I first entered into full-time church work. I started while I was still in college. I was 21, working full-time at a church. And Tim would kind of put his arm around me, show me the robes, kind of help me understand ministry, how, how all this works. And this guy was always praising the Lord. I, I used to say he, was, he loved Jesus more than anyone I knew. Every time I'd see him, hey, Tim, how you doing? I'm great, brother. God is good. He's so good to me. Tim, how, how are things going? Jesus is always faithful. It's just reading the Bible today, and oh, God's so good to me. He was such a great youth pastor that about every two years, another church would kind of swoop in and want to hire him. And his church would find out, and they kept giving him a raise. He was a youth pastor at a church maybe slightly bigger than this one. And by that Point, his salary was the same as the senior pastor because they didn't want to let this guy go. But on a Saturday afternoon, my cell phone rang, and it was Tim, and I answered and said, Hey, not used to hearing from you on a Saturday. And his voice was very serious. And he said, uh, Hey, I just want to tell you before you find out, um, I'm resigning my church tomorrow. I said, oh, what, what's up? And he said, well, the 
they were doing an audit of the books, and they caught me making inappropriate use of funds. About two, three, four grand, I just made purchases for my family on the church credit card. I knew I shouldn't do it, but I did. Okay. Now, I've, I've done enough things wrong in my past. I've always had it as a personal philosophy in ministry that when, when people mess up publicly, I should be more their friend, not less. So I'd pray for him and keep up with him. And in the church, you know, they were brokenhearted, but they loved him so much. They, he resigned, but their plan was that he'd be gone for a year. They'd pay for him to do some counseling, and then they'd bring him back on staff. Couldn't have a church credit card anymore, but they'd bring him back. So he went into counseling, and stuff started coming out. And eventually he broke down in tears and admitted he'd been having an affair with a woman in the church for several months. His wife, who had stood by him with the credit card issues, couldn't handle that. And this beautiful young pastor's wife started drinking heavily. Kids would find her in the morning passed out in the living room. She eventually left Tim for his best friend. And he's trying to figure out, my career's over, my wife's gone, I have four kids Eventually, some of his friends had to admit him to the ER because he was suicidal. But God wasn't done with him. And as he kept working with him, as he continued on the counseling, he realized he had a lot of stuff from when he was a much, much younger guy. Grew up without a dad. Grew up in poverty always feeling rather insecure, how he looked on the outside, what people thought of him really, really mattered, wanted to appear to have it all together. And of course, sin's involved, but that probably tied in with using the credit card and very much enjoying the advances of a troubled woman at the church. But he never talked about these things. They stayed private for a long, long time until the lid blew off. Around this period, I was working some of the church, knowing him, knowing their senior pastor, going to some meetings. And there was an elder in their church who was a cop. He used to be a cop in Philly, and then he was out in Amish country. And he said, I see this stuff all the time. And I said, I bet you've seen a lot as a cop, haven't you? He's like, well, in Philly we saw a lot of violent things. He said, but I see a lot of weird sexual things in Amish country that don't need to happen. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, people have problems just like everyone has problems. But he's like, some of you Mennonite types, you keep everything private. And it festers and it festers and it festers until it spills out all over the place. It's like, why don't you guys just talk about things a lot more? I think that's a good point. Like I said, Pastor Brian shared that you guys are great people. You've started other ministries. The Spirit of Jesus has been alive and well here. But I also wonder what it would look like if you guys would lead the way of being an Anabaptist church where people can be honest about what's going on. Their worries, their struggles, their fears, their frustrations. And knowing that they would still be accepted. 
that our sins and our pain and our hurts don't have to stay private, but that we can speak them. And yes, we should take our burdens to God, of course. But remember, what did Jesus call us? The body of Christ. We are Jesus in the 21st century with skin on. To talk with Jesus about our deepest worries or concerns or hurts necessarily implies talking about them with other people. Now, back to the story. After this person had voiced their concern, Jesus goes into a story of his own, right? Talks about the farmer who's raising crops, and he knows droughts come. So it's been a good year, and he doesn't want to be on the wrong side of the drought, so what do I do? So he thinks, and he plans, and he concerns himself, and he can't sleep at night. So he comes up with how to build these barns that can store his crops, so when everything falls apart, he'll be ready to go. And Jesus says, finally, when he gets that figured out, all of his worries are finally over, he dies. Jesus says, back in verse 21, A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Then turning to his disciples, he said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Then he goes on to the example again of the the ravens, how God cares for them, and they don't have barns. And the beautiful lilies of the field, and they're they're gorgeous. We cut them, we love to adorn our, our homes with them. Yet they don't sew their own clothing. And he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Four years ago, our, our youngest, uh, we have two boys, two girls. So four years ago, our youngest was a baby, and she wasn't sleeping. And so one particular night, it was my job to be up with her late at night. My wife would, like, sing to her and say sweet things. I'd turn on TV and sit on the couch is what I typically do when I was up. But I like to watch PBS. Normally, it's just you grandmothers out there and me, but I'm a bit of a PBS fan. And so it's late at night, like 12, midnight, 1 a.m., something like this. I have the baby sitting there. And I see this guy named Daniel Gilbert being interviewed. He's a professor from Harvard. He'd written this book, fascinating book, called Stumbling on Happiness. And the interviews, interviewer's asking him about his research, and he, he was overseeing this major project about what makes people happy. All sorts of grad students involved and interviewing people and observing people. What makes people happy? But the thesis of Gilbert's book is, after all these years and all this money and all of these interviews, we can't find out what makes people happy. In fact, the only thing we found is that human beings are really bad at knowing what will make them happy. We tend to think, if I get this job, if I marry this person, if I could buy this car, man, that would be nice. And it tends to be for like a month or two. And then you just kind of feel like you did before. And on the flip side, human beings are really bad at knowing what would make life awful for them. So there's things we worry about. If I were to lose my job, if this relationship were to end, if we would get sick, what will we do? And when those things happen, we tend to be really, really down in the dumps for a few months. 
And at least about a year later, we're kind of about as happy as we were before it all happened. And I found this fascinating. Because I think this shows that research is catching up to what Jesus had been saying 2,000 years ago. Why do we worry? Because we don't even know what to worry about. We can't judge how things will impact us or not. So another thing I think we see in this text is that once we voice our worries, we often find that our deepest needs are not what we assumed. We think this is a problem. This is a frustration. This is a struggle. This is a pain. This is something annoying. But if we give voice to them to God and other people and start to process it, we almost always find that our deepest problems are not what we assumed. This guy in the story, what did he do? It's an inheritance issue. And Jesus said no. Jesus tells the story, I need barns. No. That, that wasn't your biggest problem. Right now, my, my best friend is up in Toronto, Canada. He had lived about an hour from me in Pennsylvania. He was also a church planner, also part of the Brethren of Christ tribe. But he's up in Toronto. They're having their annual meetings up there. But he's also interviewing for a job. Our Canadian churches are really committed to mission, training leaders, planting new churches, growing churches, be effective at reaching people. And they are interviewing my friend. I'm quite sure they will hire him to help work with pastors, to help them be effective at mission and to grow in their leadership ability. But here is the interesting thing. When they hire him, and his full-time job will be just working with pastors, he will not do any leadership training. He will not be working with, here's strategies for how you can reach more people in the 21st century. All he's going to do is personal spiritual care and counseling with pastors. That's it. Because our Canadian churches have realized most pastors who are struggling to lead a church to reach people, are struggling with being leading a nonprofit, are struggling to reach others outside the church. They think it's a leadership strategy issue, and it almost never is. It's almost always an internal issue. And when they begin to process what is personally going on, what are their personal worries and concerns, their personal struggles and pain and frustrations, and begin to find with the Spirit of Jesus a way out of that, they get freed up, and mission and leadership and reaching people just starts flowing. Because most of us don't know what our real issues are. And I wonder with some of you, think about whatever you're worried about, whatever you struggle with, whatever you hope doesn't happen. I wonder if you began to actually voice that with God and other people, if you might find that there are real things there, real problems, but they're not what you assumed. Some of you who are older, who worry about your health failing, not to the point that there's a funeral, but to the point that you're a burden for your family, 
I wonder what might happen if you started sharing that with some people. Started to voice that. I wonder if you might find as you process that, that that's not really the concern. But there's other stuff. There's other regrets. There's other conversations that haven't been had with your grown children that should have been had. Certain relational things that you need to talk about that it's just easier to not talk about. And I wonder if that's some of the issue. If you might find that your children will feel a lot better about your future. Let me tell you, as my parents who are early senior citizens, my prayer for them isn't their health, though they have health problems. My dad has something undiagnosed. He keeps going for tests all the time now. My biggest prayer for them is that some of the stuff from their backstory, some of the things that have lingered and have not, conversations haven't been had and things haven't been said and people haven't been forgiven, that they deal with that. That's my biggest concern for them. That those kind of things get worked out. Or for some of you who are younger, who worry if you'll ever really have life on your own. I wonder if you began to process that with other people, if you might find that some of your personal narratives are what actually need changed. That you're more shaped by the narratives on your iTunes downloads than by the vision of Jesus. That some of us, though it's understandable, think too much about ourselves and we don't see our Self is something much bigger, a calling to something larger. And I wonder if you share this and begin to experiment with different patterns of life. That you see, you just need a different vision for what life is all about. And the other stuff will work itself out. Or for some of you middle-aged people, if you begin to share, you might find out it's not your worries aren't elections or the economy or even your kids. You might find out that even if you've grown up in the church your whole life, you somehow ended up with a view of God where you think that He wants you to try to like control everything in your life. That you need to make the family work out. You need to make everything work out just fine. You might find that the real problem is you have a wrong view of God that leads you to control and you just need to let go. You know, for me, um, obviously my biggest problem as a young man wasn't that I was follically challenged. That wasn't my biggest problem. My biggest problem is that my identity was still built, like many young adults, on my appearance. And if people thought I was a cool cat, and if the young ladies were interested in me. And eventually, that's a game we all lose. You can't play forever. And so as I began to deal with that, and began to get more serious about Jesus personally, and began to process this with some friends and others, I noticed I gained a self-confidence that I didn't have before. Not an arrogance, but a, I'm tracking with God. I'm living the life of Jesus. I'm fine in who I am. And that led me to interact with people differently. And if my wife was here, she's not, but you could ask her. 
she saw me from afar, and she would tell you she thought I was hot, and she was drawn to me. She pursued me. That's true. And, but she would say there was something about me that was different than the other guys. I thought my problem was my hair, or lack thereof, when it was really the way I saw myself. You know, there are people out there who want us to worry. I don't know if you ever think about that, they, but they have an investment in you and I worry. Politicians want us to worry all the time about the future of our culture. Because if we didn't, we wouldn't give them money, and we wouldn't vote for them, and we wouldn't put their signs in our yards. Marketers want us to worry that we're missing something. Because if we didn't, we wouldn't try to go buy Rogaine at the Super X drugstore. Even religious people want us to worry. If we think that the younger generations are going to hell like never before, we'll buy their books and we'll listen to them on radio and maybe we'll donate some money to their ministries as well. Back in verse 31, Jesus said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. And notice he goes further on this particular issue. The one who's worried about the inheritance. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven, and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. If we voice our worries, the Spirit will often show us what our truest needs are. And if we will step into them with Jesus we will find that there isn't too much worth worrying about. We voice them. We begin to realize that the real issues are different ones than we thought. And we actively step into them with Jesus. And things chill out. My friend Mike had everything to worry about years ago. His marriage was rocky, tense, distant. He realized that. He eventually sat his wife down and said, Honey, what's going on? And after several hours, she not only confessed to an affair, she confessed to multiple affairs, dealing with some serious mental health issues. I mean, could anything be worse? So here he is with four kids, one with special needs. Finds out his whole marriage has been a sham. His wife isn't who he thought she was. So he begins to pray. And he begins to process this with friends, these worries, these concerns. He begins to see a counselor. And over time, he realizes the problem isn't exactly what he thought it was. Sure, his wife had all sorts of issues. But he had issues. He had somehow had this narrative that to be a real man is to make a lot of things happen in the world. And so he was one of those guys who was making good, good money, working 75-hour weeks, never being home, And his wife certainly had her problems and issues and sins, but he was exacerbating that. So as he prayed and talked to friends and talked to counselors, he realized he needed to step into the. If he was going to trust God, he needed to walk into the biggest thing he was afraid of. So since his wife had a decent job, my friend Mike quit his job, making high six figures to be a stay-at-home dad. And to stay with his wife. 
walked right into the lion's den, right into the mouth of it. And years later, he's a great dad. I saw on Facebook yesterday pictures of him taking his special needs daughter to her high school prom. And he and his wife are still together. As he stepped into it. I don't know you. I don't know your worries. I don't know the source of your anxiety. But I know that you need to step into them. Faith isn't simply waiting on God. It is waiting on the results with God. But faith is partnering with Jesus to step into those things. You can't just hang back and say, I'm trusting God with it. No, no, no. You trust God by walking into it with Him. That's what we do. So if you're worried about your health, being a burden on your family, and you voice this and you find out there's other things, maybe it means trusting Jesus enough to have conversations with your grown children that you should have had a long time ago. That's trusting God. Or if you're young, you're worried if you'll ever have a life. Maybe it means, after voicing that and processing that, finding a bigger calling, a new identity. Find a nonprofit here in Fresno where you can volunteer, where you can get past yourself and be a part of something larger. Or if you're worried about your children, but you see it's this view of God that you think He wants you to control everything. Maybe it means you quit texting them every day and you stay off reading their Facebook page and you let things go. That's stepping into it. Voice your worries. Find out what they really are and they're not what you assume. And then trust Jesus enough to step into them. And I think if you do that, maybe you'll be like some dumb, selfish young guy. Find a different self-understanding. Who never ended up using Rogaine or joining the hair club for men. But he's still a public speaker and he just cuts his hair pretty short and goes with it. And you know, things... Things are okay. I'm going to ask the worship team if they want to come up front to lead us in a final song. And as they're coming, let let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for these stories and accounts from the life of our Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you deal with the real stuff that we live with. May my brothers and sisters have enough faith to not keep their concerns private, but to voice them. To be men and women who are open enough to find out what is the real struggles in their life that may be different than they assume. 
And may you give them the faith to just step right into those worries, partnering with your son Jesus. Thank you for this faithful congregation, how you've used them so mightily over the years. May they also be a leader to the Mennonite Brethren, being a community that's open and honest. Let's all walls and fake expressions fall apart to find real community with you and with one another. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.